Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Team, I cannot believe that this is week 12 of our series in Colossians. I have loved uh, delving into a book that is really all about who Jesus Christ is. Um, and, you know, Tenley said something when God says, wait more in the meantime. The interesting thing about Jesus was when he came, he inaugurated a kingdom. And we are living in that meantime until he comes um, in his power and his glory to reclaim the kingdom that he inaugurated. And so the Christian life is a lot about waiting, but it's also much about doing in the power of the Spirit. And so um, even as we are trying to figure out what our next steps are in terms of where we're going together and how we're going together, we know that he is in control and he's in charge. And so that gives us um, a lot of confidence. So I have this bad habit, my, my girls hate it, Karen hates it as well, where I switch off a show um, probably about two minutes before the end of the show. So, well, it's because basically everything has wrapped up. You know, the, the issue is wrapped up, the plot is wrapped up, and we're, 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 we are re-watching House right now, and he solved the riddle, and the person lives. Um, and just about the time where the montage comes and the song comes and, and there's this like two-minute emotional wrap-up, um, I, I switch it off. Well, mainly because like I think it's boring, those kind of relational things, I, I think they're boring and I'll switch it on again and I would have missed some stuff. So for example, the, the two characters, Cameron and Chase, they divorced and no one told us about that, but we saw that in the montage. And oftentimes what happens to me is like, I'm really not interested in those people because I have no emotional connection to them because they're not real people. The opposite is true when I'm watching a documentary. If I'm watching a documentary or something that is based on real life, at the end of the movie, I will go to the internet and check out whether this actually really did happen, what kind of license they took, um, and what has happened to these characters. I wait until the very end of the movie, because usually in documentaries, there's like the black screen, right? And then it's like, since 2012, et cetera, et cetera, has happened. And I wait until the very end. The book of Colossians, we're at that place now where last week it ended with let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. And then we get into a section called final greetings. Um, and then most of us are probably just going to skip through this and, oh, okay, these guys, the names I can't even pronounce. But remember, the Colossian church had a connection to these men and women. The Colossian church knew these men and women, and they would have been on the edge of their seat right now. It's like, okay, you've told us about all this theology, but what's happening with Priscilla? And what's happening to Amanda? And what's happening with Sean? And when is Jason coming back? And so there's all these questions that if you put it in that perspective, you're like, oh, now I'm listening. Beforehand, I was maybe falling asleep a little because Paul keeps repeating himself, but now I want to know what happened to Tychicus or Tychicus, whichever way you want to look at that. The entire Bible is inspired by God. Um, and so even in the final greetings, there are important lessons that we can learn. And from the perspective of the Colossians, it gives us a window into the practical outworking of what mission, sacrifice, genuine affection, forgiveness, and restoration look like. So let's look at Colossians 4, verses 7 to 17. 
Tychicus, our dearly beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know how we are and so that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, a faithful and dearly loved brother who is one of you. And they will tell you all about what, uh, they will tell you about everything here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings, as does Mark, Barnabas's cousin, concerning whom you have already received instructions. And if he comes to you, welcome him. Now, it's about this point where you're probably starting, like your eyelids are getting heavy, but just hang with me. So, so does Jesus, who is called Justice. These alone of the circumcised are my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. He is always wrestling for you in his prayers so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. For I testify about him that he works hard for you and for those in Laodicea and for those in Hierapolis. Luke, the dearly beloved physician, and Demas send you greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her home. And after this letter has been read at your gathering, not service, at your gathering, have it read also in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from, the, from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, pay attention to the ministry that you've received in the Lord so that you can accomplish it. I, Paul, am writing this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains, grace be with you. So the question that I want to answer this evening is how are we held together as partners and friends on mission? And there's three real ways. The one is that we recognize and honor tenacious loyalty. The second is that we are resolute but restoring in our relationships. And the third is that we are challenging in our relationships. So we're going to look at some of these names as examples of what we're talking about. Recognizing and honoring tenacious loyalty. When we look at, at Tychicus, Epaphras, and Luke, these are the examples that we have. So let, let's look at Tychicus, the, the guy I call the encourager. Verse 7 says, Tychicus, our dearly loved brother, faithful minister and fellow servant or doulos slave in the Lord will tell you all the news about me. I have sent you him for this very purpose so that you may know how we are and so that he may encourage your hearts. This was someone that Paul trusted incredibly. He was not just a courier, but there was this essential element about him where he was an encourager and a comforter to the church. Now, we think we know that he delivered the letter and he, he delivered a number of other things. We know that Paul sent him all over the place. He sent him to Ephesus, to Colossae, to Laodicea. And also we know that he sent him with a really prickly letter called to Philemon about what he should do with his runaway slave. And so we have this this guy that we tend to think of just as a delivery boy, but was so much larger than that. You know, I, I, I really enjoy the Amazon guy when he comes and he delivers my package because I've, I've kind of been waiting. But he doesn't come into my house and he doesn't encourage me and he doesn't comfort me and he doesn't sit and tell me how my friends are and he doesn't pray for me. And so when we look at this guy and we look at his tenacious loyalty to Paul, the question that we've got to ask is, are, are we that kind of person? Are we the kind of person that when we are given even a menial task, are able to take the, quote, menial task and multiply it and amplify it so that we can be an, encourage, an encouragement and a comfort to whoever we're going to? 
Um, we have friends around the world in the context of the advanced movement. And one of the most essential things is communication between the churches. Now, communication these days is much easier with WhatsApp and with Voxer and email and those kinds of things. But let me tell you this. Getting a video or an email or even a WhatsApp message is great, but having someone come and stay in our home and minister to the people that God has called us to minister to, going to someone and being with them and, and seeing how they raise their children, they, there is so much different about what comfort and encouragement that provides. And, um, and being part of a church planting and strengthening network which is what Paul is doing by writing this letter, is key to helping us understand that we are not the center of the universe. So when, when I came back from Nepal in March, and I was telling you the stories about, um, about a pastor's wife who died because she could not get her hands on simple antibiotics because she was sick. Those are different battles that churches around the world are facing. And it's important for us to recognize those battles. It's important for us to be able to pray for them, but also to physically be able to provide for them. Um, and so the, that's why receiving news from churches and giving news to churches is so important. During this time, um, we've had Rigby... Um, give us some encouragement via a video, and most of you have seen that. But what you don't know is that we've also had a time with Rigby over Zoom with the elders and the leaders and with me, and it's been massively encouraging to have someone like that. These men and women are consistent, stable, reliable encouragers, and we all need these people. They may not be the most exciting people in the world, but we need in our lives someone that is stable, constant, and reliable. I want to ask you, who are the Tychicuses in your life? Or who are you a Tychicus to? Is there someone that you are actively looking to encourage and comfort during this time? Let's look at Epaphras, I call the praying planter. Epaphras, who is one of you? So he was part of the Colossian church, so they would have known him. It would be like saying, hey, Neil, who is one of you? A servant of Christ Jesus sends you greetings. Oh, great. He is always wrestling for you in his prayers. How does Paul know this? Because they're in prison together. So when Epaphras is praying, he knows that he's praying for the Colossian church. He's overhearing him. What is he praying? So that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. For I testify about him. I can tell you that he works hard for you, and not just you, but for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Now in the Lysus Valley, there were three churches um, that Paul was connected to. One was in Hierapolis, one was in Laodicea, and the other one was in Colossae. And those are the letters that Paul is talking about. Like I want you to swap these letters um, and, and read what is going on. Laboring in prayer is a massively undervalued gift. And, and I, I want to say this, I want to encourage you over the next weeks, when you pray for your brothers and sisters, all you need to do is just get your phone out and say, I prayed for you this morning. I prayed for you this evening. Make sure you did it. That's, the, that's important. Don't just, don't just text it, you know. But do you know how encouraging it is for someone that is in a very complicated situation? You don't even need to know how complicated the situation is. They don't need advice necessarily. They need to know that someone is laboring for them in prayer. And so in, at a minimum, what we could do is pray. But one of the, the steps that I want to invite us to do is actually just to send a text and say, man, I've been, I've been praying for you guys. 
One of the cool things is, as we've been trying to make the, uh, these decisions as an eldership have been the little texts and emails that have come through people. No, you know, nothing massive like, hey, I have a free building for you, or, or you know, I, I have Governor Newsom's ear, and we can fix this, and no, nothing like that. Just simply saying, guys, we know this is a tough time. Know that we are praying for you. It just, what it does is it, it satisfies my prickly soul, and we can all do that for each other. This is a large capacity person. He's planted the church. Epaphras planted the church at Colossae and was ministering into the church at Laodicea and into the church at Hierapolis. And he wants to make sure that the people that are under his care and leadership are mature and fully assured disciples of Jesus Christ. Why? So that they can make disciples of Jesus. Our relationships are important, not just so that we can create this nice fence of relationship and protect ourselves from the world. Our relationships are important because they create nets through which we are able to catch the fish that Jesus intended for us to catch. He said we would be fishers of men. Now, we all know that a fish can swim past the bait on a hook, but it has to fight its way through a net. And our relationships create that kind of net where people come into the net of our relationships and realize there is a gift of grace that they can receive. Are you or do you have someone in your life that prays for you the way Epaphras prayed for the Colossian church? Are you or do you have someone that pushes you and towards maturity that says you are able to stand mature and fully assured to draw all that potential out of you. Are you doing that to someone else? Are you praying for someone else? Are you urging someone to say, come on, you can stand. You're able to stand and be fully mature. Are we able to do that? Secondly, what we see through this passage is that our relationships are to be resolute, but restoring. So who... Who am I talking about? I'm talking about John Mark, the deserter. And I'll tell you why, if you don't know. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, he says in verse 10, sends you greetings, as does Mark, Barnabas' cousin. Now, he's already written to them. They already know him. And so he said, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Well, 12 to 14 years ago, what happened was that Mark, John Mark, was on a uh, an apostolic team with Paul and Barnabas. And they were busy ministering, and um, they were ministering on an island. And so he deserted them, um, and he left them, and he went back to Jerusalem. And years later, Paul and Barnabas reconnect in a city called Antioch, and they say to each other, why don't we go back and strengthen and comfort everything that he's saying to the Colossian church, the churches that we planted when we came out on the way here. And Barnabas says, hey, that's a great idea. Let's take John Mark with us. And Paul's like, not going to happen. And Barnabas is like, but why? He's my cousin. I know him. He's my cousin, you know. And like Paul's like, no, he deserted us. And Barnabas is like, well, I'm not going without John Mark. And Paul's like, I'm not going with John Mark. And they separate in Acts 13. The interesting thing about that scripture is that the Bible doesn't ever tell us who was right or who was wrong. It simply says that a large dispute arose, okay, and that they, they separated. But this is, the, this is the wonderful thing about restorative relationships in Christ. This is 12 to 14 years later, and Paul says, I will send you greetings from Mark. He and so there's a sense of reconciliation. In 2 Timothy, listen to what he says. Only Luke, now we, we know he's, Luke is on his team, is with me. Bring Mark, for he is useful to me in this ministry. 
and I've sent Tychicus. We've already spoken about Tychicus to Ephesus. So what we know for sure is that there was a restoration that took place between Paul and John Mark. We don't have the details of what happened. We don't know how it happened. We don't know when it happened. But we know that Paul took a strong and deliberate stand operated out of conviction, recognizing that there would be consequences relationally, but stood firm, yet at the same time was willing to reconcile and restore his brother. I, I love that. 12 to 14 years later, and John Mark, he didn't sulk. He went and planted churches with Barnabas and with Peter, and by the way, also compiled the gospel of? Yeah, Mark, there we go. Very good, okay. Who is a John Mark in your life? Who is someone that you need to restore back into your life? This is not a sin issue. This is not that someone did something to you that you need to forgive. This is literally there's, there's been a drift or there's been some kind of relational issue. Who can you receive in the way that Paul is recommending that John Mark be received? Or are you a John Mark to someone? Have you deserted someone, abandoned someone? And maybe this is an opportunity for you to say, hey, you know what? It's been a long time. I don't even remember what the issue was. Can we reconcile for the sake of Christ? Can we reconcile for the sake of mission? You know, the thing that is so amazing for me about, um, about all of this is these are, these are little pictures of, of Jesus. You know, the, the picture of Epaphras is one that is constantly praying for us in terms of our maturity. Is, is Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father praying for us. Now, in terms of restoration, Jesus is the one that enables us to come back because he's the one that pursues us to come back. Let's look at Onesimus, or what I call the thief. He, and he's, uh, Paul is talking about Tychicus here, is coming with Onesimus, a faithful and dearly loved brother who is one of you, and they will tell you everything about me. So who was he? Now, um, those of you that were here when Travis preached this, I'm just going to repeat it. He was a slave that left his post and he either did something that cost Philemon money or he stole money from Philemon. Now, this was a sin issue. Philemon had harmed Onesimus. Uh, sorry, Philemon was harmed by Onesimus. So this was not a relational conflict. This was a real conflict that needed to be repented of. Uh, Philemon found Paul probably in Ephesus and was converted by him and asks Paul to mediate the situation between his boss and him now. And so he sent back to Colossae by Paul with Tychicus with a letter. And the letter reads like this. I appeal to you for my child. This is Paul writing to Onesimus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in prison. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now indeed he has become useful to you and to me. And the reason that Paul wrote that is because Onesimus' name means useful. And so Paul was using the language as a pun there. Uh, I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but by of your own accord. And so what Paul is saying, I know this guy harmed you. He's not covering over it. He's not saying what he did was fine. It was, I know he harmed you, but I want you to receive him as if you're receiving me. He's changed he maybe was 
Not, he was useless and now he is useful, not only to me, but to you as well. In verse 18, he reminds Onesimus of this. He reminds Philemon of this. Thank you, Karen. Now you know there's someone in the room telling me when I've done wrong. Thank you, babe. No, I, I do appreciate that. And if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to my account. Paul says, I know that there is a deficit here. I know that you were wronged and that there was either some kind of financial issue that happened. But you know what? I'm willing to pay for that. You know who else did that for us? Jesus. Jesus said, you know what? There is no way you are able to have eternal peace with the Father unless your debt of sin is paid. But I will do that. I've done nothing wrong. Paul had done nothing wrong. But I want the two of you to be together. And that is the purpose of this restoration is to actually say, I want the two of you to be together and I'm willing to shed my blood so that the penalty of your sin can be paid for. And Paul says to Philemon, and if he's wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to my account. Our sin has been charged to Jesus. And we are able to walk into God's presence saying, I can't pay the debt that you need in order because of the sin that I committed, but my debt has been paid. Are there Onesimuses in your life that you need to forgive, that have hurt you? You can even count out how they've hurt you, where the loss is real. Is there someone that you need to forgive the way that Christ has forgiven you? Is there someone whose debt you need to expunge the way that your debt was expunged. Or maybe there's a Philemon that you need to ask forgiveness for. I'm sure Philemon was there saying to Paul, I don't know what to say to him. I don't know how to say this. I mean, the minute I arrive, he has every right to put me in jail because of what I've done. And Paul says, I will mediate on your behalf. The way that Jesus says, I will mediate on your behalf. We have a mediator, someone who stands in the gap who says, no, his debt is paid for. I paid for it. I didn't just pardon him, I paid the debt. And now he can come back into a relationship with you. Are there people like that? Lastly, our relationships need to be challenging. Archippus the slacker. Tell Archippus, pay attention, look out for the dangers to the ministry you have received in the Lord so that you can accomplish, fulfill, or complete it. Now, Archippus was probably the son of Philemon because he's talked about both in Colossians and specifically in the greetings to Philemon. And so that's why we think he's part of that household and he's, he's addressed in that greeting. And um, we, don't, we don't know what the task is, but we know that it was a shared task uh, because we know that this letter was to be read in Laodicea. So we know that Archippus had a role to play in the church in Laodicea and also a, a role to play in the church in, Col in Colossae. But um, uh, the, the guesses are is that Archippus was meant to be preaching and teaching and opposing some of the doctrine that was being preached at the Laodicean church, the church in Hierapolis and the church in Colossae, and then that was not happening. Now, the letter doesn't imply desertion. It just implies a warning. Paul is not, Paul is not subtle. So if Archippus had deserted him, we have other letters where he has said, 
Demas has deserted me for he loved this present world. Um, and so we know that there still is a sense of relationship, but this is kind of prickly, right? It's embarrassing. Imagine someone, I mean, imagine I got a letter from someone and I was reading, and tell Chris Johnson to look out for the danger and complete the ministry that was given to him by the Lord. You'd be like, whoa, that's like, that's a pretty public calling out. Now, what, what his job or role was must have been important enough to actually let two churches know, hey, encourage this guy to complete the ministry that God had given him. Whatever he was or wasn't doing was affecting two churches enough to the point that it needed a public challenge. Now, I've been challenged publicly, mainly because most of my faux pas are public, so they need to be challenged publicly. Now, I've been challenged by a team leader. I've been challenged by an apostolic team guy. I've been challenged publicly. And let me say, it's not nice, but it's something you very seldom forget. And so I'm not telling us to publicly create an environment where we challenge people in the context of life group or in the context of church and, and, and have our own say. But what I am saying is that the, the, the difficulty with being part of a, a, a culture that is so rampantly individualistic is that any time there is a challenge put out, it's put out as unloving and uncaring. And yet what Paul is saying is, I care not only for the church in Colossae, but for the church in Laodicea, and I also care for Archippus, which is why I want to challenge you. Can you do this? My question is, have you been called out by someone? Are you still mad about it? How did you respond? How would you respond if someone challenged you and said, hey, the ministry that God has given you, don't forget that. You came to me about a year ago and you said God shifted and stirred something in me in terms of being on mission at my workplace. What has happened to that? God spoke to me about, about not being loving to my wife and my children. What, is, what has happened with that? Have you fulfilled that? Have you asked the Spirit for grace to be able to complete the task? Because God wouldn't give you that task unless the Spirit of God enabled you and equipped you to be able to fulfill it. So is there someone in our relational world that we can honor for tenacious loyalty? And this is not about honoring leaders. This is about looking for someone that is prayerful, looking for someone that works hard, looking for someone that, that is engaged to actually say, you know what, I want to honor that tenacious loyalty. Is there someone that we need to restore or bring back? Not necessarily out of sin, but basically saying, hey man, you've, you've drifted for a while. Uh, we've drifted. Why, 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 don't you, why don't you come back? Why don't you re-engage? Is there someone we need to forgive or ask forgiveness from? Or is there someone that we need to challenge because they're not fulfilling the ministry that God has called them to fulfill? Well, Nick, why, why is this important? It's because our relationships are a way that we can display the mercies of God. The way in which we interact is a display of God's mercy. And the way in which our relationship works, our relationships work, are also a way that we proclaim the mercies of God. 
Because in the context of community, the gospel message rings so much louder. It's amplified by the way in which we treat each other or it's denied by the way in which we treat each other. We need to understand that what the gospel has called us to is relationship in function. And that relationship is loving one another so that people will recognize that we are disciples for the purpose of making Jesus known to those that don't know his saving grace. C.S. Lewis says this, lovers are always talking to one another about their love. Friends hardly ever about their friendship. Lovers are normally face to face, absorbed in each other. Friends side to side, absorbed in a common interest. And I'd like to change that and actually say this, lovers are always talking to one another about their love. Gospel partners hardly ever talk about their gospel partnership. Lovers are normally face-to-face, absorbed in each other. Gospel partners, side-by-side, absorbed in making Jesus known. And so if our friendships are orbed around something that is not us, and that common interest is actually making Jesus known, then our friendships, the, the kinds of things that Paul is saying, as he mentions all of these different kinds of men and women, are things that we will pursue, not because they're secondary, but because they're primary in the way that people see, has the gospel actually transformed my life? So Mercy Commons, can, can we image Jesus in his sacrificial love? Can we image Jesus in the way that, that he worked hard? He, he gave himself fully and completely to death on a cross. We have not been asked for that. All we've been asked for is to carry our cross with joy. The yoke that Jesus places upon us is a real yoke, but he carries it with us and its burden is easy and light because he is with us. Can we image Jesus in the way that we are first to step out and say, I want to restore you. I want to forgive you. Come back. Can we image Jesus in our hard and consistent work that is not fleshly, but, but kind of birthed through the Holy Spirit? Paul says, for the grace I have received, I work even harder. Because the amount of grace that I've received, I don't want to waste any of that. And so what I do is I want to multiply that. Now we can't work hard in order to receive grace, but because we have received grace, we work so that our relationships can be used as nets to be able to catch the people that God wants us to catch. Can we image Jesus in taking our mandate seriously that he made us fishers of men to disciple the nations? Can we do that? Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you that even in these greetings and difficult names and maybe even things that we've never thought about, there are complicated relationships, relationships of pain, relationships of heartache. Um, There are real sins that were committed here. There, There was challenge, there's awkwardness. But in all of this, God, we are so amazed that your grace is sufficient for us in this. And that because of the way you modeled how you operated with your disciples, uh, because of your challenge, because of your love, because of your forgiveness, we have the grace that we need. Jesus, you knew that Judas was a betrayer and you chose him onto your team. Jesus, you chose a tax collector and a freedom fighter and you put them on your team. You had the sons of thunder on your team that were arguing about who is the greatest and whether they should call down fire. 
And yet you, you worked with those men and you modeled something. And I pray, my God, in the name of Jesus, uh, that we would have countercultural relationships. Uh, that not just our relationships that are close in terms of our family, but our relationships in terms of this community would be so countercultural that, that people are saying, Help me, lead me to the person that enables you to live in this way. Jesus, in this uncertain time, we are grateful for this certain thing that you are with us that you will never leave us or forsake us, that you've given us a mandate and that you've given us the power of the Holy Spirit to fulfill it. I pray that we would do it in the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.